Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping, and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Well, creeps, it's been a while since we covered a case like this. A case where I feel the need to provide a warning at the beginning. This particular episode is disturbing, and details as vaguely as possible extensive accounts of child neglect, as well as a variety of sexual abuse. If you find that this may be triggering or too much for you, there's no shame in skipping this episode. This specific case, frankly, makes me deeply disturbed. It makes my skin crawl. It makes me nauseous. But when it was recommended by a listener of the podcast, I knew I had to tell the tale. Please understand that because this tale is hard to listen to, it is also hard to talk about. So I will be doing my best to detail what exactly happened, but some facts may seem vague or brushed over because of this. As always, I strongly encourage anyone looking to learn more to further their research after this episode is done. In Australia in 2012, a farm was raided in Baroa, New South Wales. In the raid, 12 children were removed from the premises and the custody of their parents, who were also their aunts and uncles, if you get what I'm saying. All 12 of the children lived in what can only be described as disturbingly horrifying conditions. Authorities referred to the family as the Colt family, and so I will do the same for the entirety of this episode. The children were removed by both police and child protection services in that raid. Frustratingly, though, it wasn't the first time reports and complaints had been filed in regards to the Colt family. I don't know where to put the blame, but it's seen too often. It appears that between 2010 and 2012, not one or two reports of neglect were filed, but a stunning and heartbreaking total of seven. The reports range from child neglect to refusing to seek medical attention for the children, as well as failing to enroll and send some of the 12 children to school. Finally, in July 2012, a concerned teacher went to the lengths of urging on an investigation into the family by filing another report. According to the teacher, they had heard one of the Colt girls tell a classmate, and I quote, My sister is pregnant, and we don't know which of the brothers is the father. An absolutely shocking statement to be heard, clearly. It was due to the report containing those details of that eavesdrop statement that prompted the visit. When police and child protective services arrived, they found what can only be described as something akin to a horror movie set in the backwoods. The almost prototypical isolated family scenario, where all the assumptions are made due to their unhygienic lifestyle, as well as the lack of interaction with neighbors or anyone for that matter. But what they found was stranger and far more horrible than fiction could ever be. Over an arid swath of land, police found children living in a sort of village of caravans, tents, and sheds. The children wore dirty, filthy clothes which looked to have been unwashed for a shockingly long period of time. When authorities evaluated the food available to the 12 children on the farm, what they found was 
only a nearly empty fridge, and what was in the fridge was rotten and molding. There was no running water freely available to the colts on their farm, and unsafe equipment such as chainsaws were left lying about. The insides of the tents and caravans and sheds that the children lived in was caked in dirt. Exposed wires were visible, pulled out of empty sockets and sticking out of drywall. Authorities even found a kangaroo, having a nap in one of the beds of the children. Now, I made a couple references already, alluding to a certain fact of the case, but I haven't said it outright yet, and that's because even the thought of it makes me intensely uncomfortable. The Colt family was an incestuous family, living 20 miles from the nearest town, hidden away in the dry hills of Australia. The children of the Colt family weren't normal, healthy children. Not only had they been victims of chronic malnourishment, but they suffered from a variety of infirmities, both physical as well as mental. Some of the children were unable to articulate speech, while others had dysmorphic facial features. A number of the children also had hearing and sight problems. As if that wasn't enough, once the children were removed, authorities continued to uncover a whole host of problems. For example, a list of health issues, including advanced dental decay, skin problems, chronic renal failure, pneumonia, glaucoma, and heart problems, as well as a variety of nasty infections of both the mouth and feet. To add to the issue, the children themselves also lacked the basic hygiene knowledge to keep themselves clean by bathing or brushing their teeth. Shocking still, some of the children even had a hard time using the toilet. One of the young girls exclaimed that she'd never seen toilet paper before and was unaware of how it was used. Another of the Colt children, a boy, had no idea what it meant to shower. Betty Colt, matriarchal head of the family, claimed the children were homeschooled. But when tested, one of the children, a 15-year-old boy, was found to have the reading and writing as well as reasoning level of a 5-year-old. In fact, most of the children couldn't read or write at all. And the children who could certainly weren't where they would have been expected to be at their age. And that's all without even touching on some of their behavior. One of the Colt children grabbed a sharpened pencil and brandished it like a weapon, directing it towards the social workers, yelling that he'd cut their throats if they didn't leave him alone. Slowly, but surely, as the children opened up to the well-meaning social workers, what they found was much more disturbing than what they had initially thought. Of course, you creeps, as well as myself, know that the children, almost all 12 of them, were the product of incest. But it gets worse. You remember the statement overheard by the teacher who initially made the final report? Well, luckily, the teacher didn't dismiss it. The girl was indeed not exaggerating in the slightest. It breaks my heart to even say the words. That the children themselves were all victims of absolutely horrendous sexual abuse. And as they became more and more comfortable, the accounts of what exactly happened on the Colt farm just became more terrible and tragic. The entire internal family dynamic, as well as their identity as a family unit, was marked and characterized by sexual abuse. The entire family engaged in those sexual acts, with almost everyone else on the farm. That includes the children. If you're shaking your heads thinking this must be an exaggeration, I assure you it's not. Investigators themselves had a hard time stringing together the interpersonal relations within the family. 
one of the girls, seven-year-old Nadia, told social workers and authorities that her uncle on her mother's side was also her father, an individual known as Charlie Colt. Another of the girls, 13-year-old Kimberly, explained how her mother and grandmother's dad was her father as well. Because of this sexual abuse, the children themselves displayed sexualized behavior. It breaks my heart to think that for those children, sexual acts were what they thought was the bulk of emotions such as gratitude or appreciation for one another. Cindy Colt, a five-year-old member of the family, continually attempted to kiss one of her male carers on the lips, thinking nothing of her behavior. Meanwhile, another of the children, Brian Colt, was seen placing his hand in a sexualized manner on his sister's knee and sliding it up her thigh. That same sister, who Brian had touched in that manner, then attempted at a later date to try and rape another one of her brothers. Betty Colt's adult daughter, Tammy, explained to authorities that she could clearly remember the abuse going back all the way to when she was 12 years old. Since that age, which is meant to be an innocent and joyful time in a child's life, a whole host of family members had abused her. She detailed gut-wrenching accounts of hiding from her brothers as she tried to avoid being raped. This sexualized behavior and normalized rape was encouraged by the adults on the farm. But it doesn't end with just accounts of sexual abuse. The children, while victims, were also clearly observed to be cruel and barbaric, with little concepts of morality or acceptable behavior. What I mean by this is the concept of empathy was completely alien to them and rarely displayed as a natural inclination of the cult children. But who could blame them? They'd known absolutely nothing else. For fun, the cult boys would capture animals before torturing and dismembering them for fun. This detail was revealed as if it were any normal game played by children, explained to investigators with a complete lack of shame. As you can imagine... This isn't behavior that just spontaneously occurs within a single gap between generations. The Colt family incest went back as far as the 1940s. When the court ordered genetic testing of the children, what they found was appalling. How could things get worse at this point? How could anything possibly be worse than what they had already uncovered? When the results of the test swabs of the family members came back, they discovered that inbreeding had been occurring for four generations, and all but one of the 12 children removed from the farm were products of that inbreeding. As authorities dug into how this had all occurred and culminated in what they found, they discovered that it all started with a sister and brother, and the birth of their child, June Colt, in 1948. In 1966, June Colt then married a man named Tim Colt, same last name, but not related as far as I can tell. The couple moved to Australia from New Zealand shortly after being married, and there they had a whole basket full of children, seven in total. The family was transient, moving often perhaps because that was the lifestyle they preferred, taking in the sights of new surroundings. But it was most likely because they were attempting to hide what is considered abhorrent sexual behavior by the entirety of society. When Betty Colt herself was 13 years old, Tim was already regularly raping her. And from there, despite June and Tim's death, those horrid acts lived on in the family. Now, with all these names, and all these generations going to and fro, and who's who and what's what, if this seems confusing, creeps, it's because it is. 
It's hard enough to keep track of a family tree with how wide it branches out. But those are all linear lines. This is a knot of absolute disgusting filth that, frankly, I don't have the stomach to fully map out. As an example, let's look at Raylene Colt. Her genetic testing revealed that her parents were either half-siblings, uncle and niece, aunt and nephew, grandparent and grandchild, or first cousins. Or there's Betty Colt's adult daughter, Tammy Colt. While Tammy didn't live on the farm with the other Colt family members, she was also a victim, as well as a perpetrator of the signature incest. All of her children were fathered by her full brother, Derek Colt. Her children were also thankfully removed from her care. The only child who was not a product of inbreeding was Cindy Colt. She was observed as being, and I quote, unlike the other children. Cindy presented as a well-spoken, polite, bright, intelligent girl whose development was normal for her age. Now, as you can see, the evidence was a mountainous pile of horrendous details carefully documented and poured over. But despite all that evidence, the adults of the Colt family objected to all the claims, denying any allegation of sexual abuse in the family. Betty Colt, who undeniably participated, claimed the father of her children was actually a man whose whereabouts were unknown to her named Phil Watson. Thankfully, to science and the power of genetic testing, that was clearly identified as a lie. Although she still maintains her innocence as well as the story. Charlie Colt, Betty's brother and occasional lover and father to a number of her children, fled Australia in June 2014, after he was approached and asked to provide a swamp for testing. Charlie himself is presumed through testing of others to be the father and uncle of at least three of the girls. All of the Colt children were placed in foster care, as well as rehabilitation and treatment programs, and eventually their sexualized behavior disappeared as they came to learn how it is love and appreciation and care is actually shown to another human being. That didn't stop Betty Colt from trying to regain custody of her children, though. And when it was found that Betty had been contacting her son, authorities found sexual text messages that she had sent to her son Bobby. It appeared Betty and her son Bobby had also assembled plans to abduct another one of Betty's sons, Billy, from his foster home. Now, this is all obviously terrible. But when it comes to assigning blame, authorities and prosecutors had difficulty trying to adjust themselves to the nearly 80-year history of incest. All guilty parties were once children, who themselves were failed by their caretakers. And then there were the children who were both victims as well as perpetrators simultaneously. Then there was the fact that a sizable portion of the acts of incest were consensual. But consensual or not, and rightfully so, also horribly illegal due to their relations. That knot was exceedingly difficult to untangle. Eventually, Betty Colt was given 12 months behind bars for conspiracy to kidnap two of her children from their foster homes. Charlie Colt was arrested upon his return to Australia. He was accused of raping his daughter when she was six. That same girl that also accused her brother of rape. But as he was also a victim of sexual abuse at the same time. He was not subjected to charges. See what I mean? I really wish there was some heavy-handed end to this horrible mess of a family. I wish the children could live in peace and receive the care and therapy they desperately need. 
but that doesn't appear to be the case. The Colt family still lives in the south of Australia, and some of them still reside together to this day. So, creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. <laughs>